Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Hello, and a very big welcome to the show today. Are you a regular listener, or have you somehow just discovered a breath of fresh air and happened to tune in? Either way, it's great to have your company, and I'd love it if you'd let me know what you think of the show. To get in touch with me, just send an email through the website, abreathoffreshair.com.au. Now, today's episode is another very special one, and I'm still not sure how I'm going to fit in everything our guest has to say in just 52 minutes. I could have listened to him for hours. He's a Grammy Award-winning Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, a musician, actor, singer, songwriter, producer, and humanitarian who believes that because he was born during a hurricane, his life has been filled with magic. He's known as the grandfather of reggae and he became famous at the ripe old age of 14. He's gone on to popularise reggae music everywhere and nearly 70 years later, he's still doing it. hearing from the legend that is Jimmy Cliff. And please forgive any audio glitches. He's coming to us all the way from Jamaica. Hi, good day. You're known as the grandfather of reggae. How did you get started in the first place? It's all I could do, really and truly. It's all I could do. So I said, this is what I can do. So I'm going to do that. So young Jimmy Cliff started singing on the street and in church, wherever and whenever he could. One time I sang in the church and it apparently blew everybody away. So next time they asked me to come up on the rostrum and sing. The church was packed. Every time they said, this little boy is going to sing. I attracted people to the church and they started making money. (laughs) And they put the collection plate around and make money. (laughs) Right. So that encouraged me. I was only six years old. They'd all turn up. And so, yeah, I, I was well appreciated. And what about your family? Did they encourage you? My family didn't encourage me. Their head was into Christianity. They didn't encourage me, but I pursued. You were single-minded? Yes. Was it difficult for you to follow that path? I guess it was difficult. But when one is doing something with their mind made up, you make it easy or you make it look easy. <laughs> you did make it look easy. But I believe there was a bit of a struggle in there when you first moved to Kingston. Yes. Kingston wasn't easy. Kingston was a a bit of a jungle. And so I had to change my outlook. That was when you took on the name Cliff, wasn't it? Yes. Why the name change? I was born in the hills of Jamaica. And I kind of liked the name Cliff. Since I was born in the cliffs of Jamaica, I said, yeah. And take on this name, Cliff. It worked out for me. It sure did. success with was one called Hurricane Hattie. Correct. What do you think it was about Hurricane Hattie that became your breakthrough? It was topical. It was like almost the topic of the day. There was a hurricane in an island adjacent to Jamaica and I just thought (laughs) if you make a a song that is on the lips and the minds of people you should have some kind of success and it worked out so. I'll be like Hurricane Hattie 
And that brings back really good memories because it was my first number one. It was my fourth recording and my first number one. It was like a tremendous time for me. When I record in the studio and I walk out of the studio, I know I got something. That was the feeling I got when I walk out of the studio with that, after recording that song. In Jimmy's teen years, he saw himself growing more and more popular at school, especially with the girls. Girls that would not normally look at me, they come into the classroom and they say, where is the radio? I say, what radio? I say, we here, singing here. I say, that was me. And their mouth dropped and went, <laughs> so things like that, you know, that I say, yeah, I got something here. I think I got something. I attract people at the church. I attract people in school. I felt I had something there. making songs about things you see around you in your world ever since. Yes. It was always at the back of my mind. Right. In 1964, your star was shining so brightly that you were selected as one of Jamaica's representative at the World Fair and you moved to Britain at that time. How come? Britain would be good for my career. So I pursued that and it was after the World's Fair. I went to the UK in 65. I said, I'll give it a go. It worked out and it didn't work out, you know, if, I, if you know what I mean. In what way? I know about how it did work out. Why do you say in some ways it didn't work out? Ah, Britain was a bitch. <laughs> was it? How? Well, in Jamaica, I, I was uh, accustomed to mild racism. <laughs> but in Britain, I had to dive into the deep. My first flat in London, I remember the lady saying to me, what are you doing here? I said, I live here. Well, you got 24 hours to get out. Wow. I said, then you got to get me out on my head. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't accept colored people here. I said, I'm not colored. This is my real color. <laughs> I'm black. Well, whatever you want to call it, we don't accept you here. So I was doing my workout and I slammed the door in her face. She said, you got 24 hours to get out. And that was the end of that story. Then uh, the following day, I was invited to be on a pop show called Top of the Pops, the most popular, popular show in, in England. And so I accepted the invitation. I was put around Nina Simone. That's the way the show was kind of fixed. So she saw me on that show. And the following day she said, Oh, I saw you on the telly. <laughs> that was laughable. I said, okay. Yes, I was on the television. I said, you can stay as long as you want. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Who was this woman, just a woman on the street? No, she was the caretaker of the house. I see. Well, it was a particularly bad time then in the early to mid-60s in Britain. Yes. You've seen so many changes go through since then in your lifetime. You must be quite shocked at how quickly the, the whole culture has changed. 
<laughs> indeed, indeed. Another sun to shine, another place of mine. If I could have my way, I'd stay forever. Look at the waterfall, see how the shadows crawl. If you believe in me, we'll stay together. And we will sit right here on the glass. And look at the sun and the sun and the sky and the sky. Oh. You recorded your debut album, the Hard Road. It won the International Song Festival. Right. And the following year, Wonderful World, Beautiful People was your international breakthrough. Well, what it is was Brazil was a pretty optimistic vibration. And I just locked into that. What I saw first was the people seemed so beautiful. The country was indeed beautiful. And I start writing about Wonderful country, beautiful people, you and your girl, things look pretty. But underneath this, there is a secret that nobody will reveal. So those were the words I had first in my head. I felt I was in a good place, but I started to see the reality after some time. to say Brazil turned out to be a very hypocritical place like it was with that woman in Britain. Oh, you can stay as long as you want. They're not real. So it was pretty, pretty hypocritical. Anyway, I stayed there and I won the festival. So my whole life changed. How did it change? What did that mean for your life then? I started making money. I started to be shown on all of the popular TV stations. I would walk on the street and people would say, Jimmy Kissy, Jimmy Kissy. That for me was new. Nobody ever called me on the street before. So all of that, I I started to become popular in the country of Brazil, in Sao Paulo. Did it feel good? It was a bit scary. I don't know what these people calling out my name. I don't know them. That was a bit scary. But for the fact that they knew who I was, I said, why? What the heck? Lap it up and go.
Radcliffe. After that came the anti-war song Vietnam. Bob Dylan called that the best protest song he'd ever heard. That set you up again to build another huge following. You did a couple of cover tracks. You did Cat Stevens' Wild World in 1970 and the best version of Desmond Decker's You Can Get It If You Really Want went to number two in Britain. That was the one we were all dancing to. You can get it if you really want You can get it if you really want You can get it if you really want But you must try, try and try, try and try You'll succeed at last Persecution, you must fear You've got to get your share Got your mind set on a dream message, isn't it? Nearly 60 years in music from a man who's always looked beyond local life to move himself and Jamaican music as a whole onto a much larger stage. Stick with us as Jimmy Cliff continues his incredible story. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks for being here. Jimmy Cliff always believed he could make his dreams come true, but his road was paved with potholes, even as he penned songs like Wonderful World, Beautiful People, and you can get it if you really want. Why did you decide to do the covers? Actually, you can get it if you really want. I wrote that song. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My mistake completely. It was a most amazing song. What can you get if you really want? No matter how hard it seems that life is, you can get whatever you set out to do. So don't stop. That's all that was going on. Whatever you set out to do, you can get it. Yeah, it was a a great message for millions of people around the world and obviously one that you had found to be true in your own life. Precisely. I remember going to Hawaii and I met this teacher. She said, you Jimmy Cliff? I said, yes. And she started give all the adoration and all those things, you know. She said, and then she started crying. And I said, why are you crying? She said, I was a dropout in school. And it's your music. Particularly, you can get it if you really want. That made me go back to school. And now I'm a teacher. And I teach students about your song. Especially, you can get it if you really want. Rome was not built in a day. Opposition will come your way. But the hotter the battle you see, it's the sweeter the victory now. You can get it if you really want. You can get it if you really want. You can get it if you really want. But you must try. I said, oh, bless you. That was nice to hear that, coming from someone I've never known before. Did you ever once consider that you might be able to have such an incredible influence over people's lives? I never considered it. All I knew is I wanted to sing, and of course I wanted to be popular, (laughs) and I wanted to touch people. So that's what I did. 
and I was grateful to the universe for that. Jimmy is one of few surviving musicians after the recent deaths of several of his colleagues who can still draw a line from ska at the start of the 60s to today's global reggae sound. His version of Cat Stevens' Wide World became almost as well known as the original and is a song he covered shortly before turning his talents to acting. Now that I've lost everything to you You said you want to start something became known as an actor for the movie The Harder They Come. Tell us how that came about. Well, I did that movie. I was convinced to do that movie because of the director telling me something only I knew. I didn't want to do the movie. He said to me, Jimmy, I think you're a better actor than singer. I was stunned. Stunned because I thought the same myself. The Harder They Come in 1972 was an important film both for reggae and for Jamaica. Jimmy provided music for the film and played the lead character. I had just finished You Can Get It If You Really Want. Up walked to me this white Jamaican gentleman and said, you're Jimmy Cliff? He said, yes, I'm Jimmy Cliff. Do you think you could write the music for a film now I'm making? I looked at him and I said, what do you mean if I think I could write? I can do anything. For about a half a minute, it didn't say anything at all. He was stunned by my response. The next thing I knew, I went back to England. He sent the script. Now, not just want me to write the music, want me to play the lead role in the, in the film. At the time, I was very popular in England. I had hit records, and so, you get a Jamaican to play the lead role in that who is very popular all over the world. I look at it two ways. But how he convinced me was he said, I think you are a better actor than singer. Because he saw an, an album jacket of mine. There were two photographs, one on the front, one on the back. And he said, on one side, I look like a winner. And the, on the other side, I look like a rebel. So he said I had a wide range. I can be photographing in, in different ways. So that also was one of the things that prompted him to ask me to do the movie. Will they tell me of a pie up in the sky Waiting for me when I die But between the day you're born and when you die They never seem to hear even your cry Oh, 
of the movie was another thing. One of the important things about it was Jamaica's first full-length movie, of course, and they ran out of money. I jumped on a plane and went back to England. And they call and say, oh, we got enough money to go again. I jumped back on a plane, I went back to Jamaica, start filming. They run out of money, it's the same cycle. We finally finished the movie and it has become what it has become because everyone went into it with a positive mind. I think because of that, that kind of feeling that everyone was working with, it came across very natural and I think is what gives the, the film its longevity. Right. But where had you acted before that you knew that about yourself? In school. Uh-huh. And where had he seen you act? I don't know. It must have been intuition. So how was that experience for you? It was great. The opportunity was great. So yes, I always cherish that moment. And uh, you did the soundtrack for the movie too, didn't you? Yeah, I did most of the soundtrack. Which was your favourite song from that soundtrack? I guess I'm going to say what most people say. It's not my style to follow the crowd, but many rivers to cross. Many rivers to cross, but I can't seem to find my way recorded Many Rivers to Cross a few years before it came out. Well, Chris Blackwell was the executive producer. He didn't think much of the song. He said, okay, let's put it in as a filler. I was burning inside when I heard him say that. But then I said to myself, I know it is a great song. So nothing or no one can kill it. And of course, we all know what happened to it after that. You were right and he was wrong. It was a huge success. Right, exactly. There was a whole lot of mixed emotions packed in that song. First of all, emotions about my ancestors crossing the middle passage, then to myself crossing over from Jamaica to the US, to the UK, then thinking of people in general as I normally do when I write a song, their own personal rivers that they have to cross. So. It was all of those emotions packed in it. And like the song says, I can't seem to find my way over because I went to the UK with big expectation that I'm going to beat out the Beatles and the Stones. (laughs) When I went, I find out, hey, it's not that easy. You know, Jimmy, it's not that easy. It's a different game here. But I never gave in. And however, hence the line, I can't seem to find my way over. So it was all of those emotions that packed in that song. And you know, the way I recorded that song, I had done a session in Jamaica and I did not record that song because I know we in Jamaica, we are very much rhythmic people, rhythmic musicians. I chose to leave that song till the time was opportune. And when I went to New York, The thought came to me while walking out of the hotel to the studio. I said, wow, if I finish this song, I may be able to get it recorded. And so said, so done. I finished the song in 10 minutes and uh, had it recorded. One take and it was done. 
Jimmy, that movie brought you to the attention of the world in, in an even bigger way than you had been until then, but somehow attention would turn to Bob Marley at that particular point. He was like your competition almost. Were you upset by that? Well, I'm someone who always had confidence in myself. I saw that Bob was well pr- promoted by a record company. So I said, huh, okay, all right, I'll keep going my own way. And as a result of the promotion, yeah, he became very popular in Britain and the rest of the world. So I kept going my own way, which was my style. <laughs> And, of course, your styles were very different anyway, so there was no need for any comparisons. Right. And, and you know, if I want to look at it this way, Bob was like my find. What do you mean? He walked into the rehearsal room where I was playing the piano and uh, announced himself. And he said, Desmond Decker sent me because Desmond Decker came before and I had him recorded his song. And they both used to work at the same place as welders. He had a great sense of rhythm and he had a great sense of the use of words. So from then I could detect that he was a poet. took him to the recording studio, recorded his first three songs, and boom, after that, he started sailing. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, because he, he was writing good songs. Let's face it, I was happy for him, and happy also because I found him via Desmond Decker, and so happy that he made it. Desmond Decker made it, and Desmond Decker was also my find, and happy that they came by way of my hand. certainly had very good taste. You knew when a song was going to be successful, you knew when an artist was going to be successful, and you knew how to find success for yourself too. As the 70s went on, you worked with a whole lot of incredible people. You toured the US with Peter Tosh, you had a partnership with Cool and the Gang, and your follow-up album, Cliffhanger, eventually won the Grammy in 1985. Was that an accolade that you were very grateful for? I was not so conscious of what the Grammy is all about. And so somebody had to pull my shirt and say, you know, you win the Grammy. You know what the Grammy is? It's one big thing in the music industry. 
I said, yeah, <laughs> no, you know, in many ways, I considered myself a smart person. And in another way, when I look and I, I look back, I say, but Jimmy, you were not that smart. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. And so, but that was my character and I lived it out. Jimmy's easygoing character certainly stood him in good stead most of the time, but when it came to handling the music business, he was in a whole world of trouble. Hang in as he unravels the details. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Welcome back. The grandfather of reggae, Jimmy Cliff, has been commenting on social issues through his songs for more than 50 years. Justice and fair play have been hardwired into his DNA. The business side was terrible for me because I, I, I'm a country boy and I just felt everything should be fair. I give you what is yours, you give me what is mine. That's the way I looked at life. So I made lots of business mistakes. You know, before I went to make the movie, I had this big tour in Europe to do. And uh, I got confused along the way which road to take. So I made some mistake there, which road I took, all of that. So that was a big blunder. Was there a time when you wisened up? Oh, yeah, I, I did wisen up and say, oh, there is no fair play in this game. There's no fair play what you're looking for. I say, oh, so that's how the game plays. Okay, and I'll play the game. Must have been very disappointing. Mm-hmm. If the rebel in me can touch the rebel in you, and the rebel in you can touch a rebel in me, and the rebels we be is gonna set us free. Then it will bring out the rebel, bring out the rebel, bring out the rebel in me. If the lover in you can touch the lover in me, and the lover in me can touch a lover in you, and the lovers we be. Jimmy Cliff appeared in a film called Club Paradise with Robin Williams. His notoriety helped put Jimmy back onto the American charts as his version of Johnny Nash's song, I Can See Clearly Now, was released. I said, wow, I know this song very well. I was in the studio the night Johnny Nash recorded it and I can do this song. So I recorded that song and it turned out to be a big hit. a song of hope and courage for people who've experienced adversity but have overcome it. Jimmy's version went to number 18 in the US and was used in the John Candy movie Cool Runnings about the Jamaican bobsled team. Yet another example of Jimmy Cliff speaking to the struggle of the times and the injustice that he sees around him. More recently, Jimmy's first album in more than a decade called Refugees does the same. Before we talk about the album, what have you been doing for the last 10 years? Cooling out. (laughs) Chilling. Have you been enjoying that? Oh, yeah. Paint me a picture of what a day in the life of Jimmy Cliff chilling out looks like. Okay, a day in the life would be I wake up. First, I like to wash. I, I don't feel comfortable when I don't brush my teeth. Okay. And then I have some breakfast. 
at this present time. I am in Jamaica, so I have Jamaican breakfast. What's a Jamaican breakfast? Jamaican breakfast is uh, fried plantains, rice and peas. Even though rice and peas is an evening meal, I have some in the morning. <laughs> have you tasted Jamaican rice and peas? No, I haven't. <laughs> it's delicious, you know, delicious. I am vegetarian, or shall I say vegan. I don't eat any dairy products. Yeah. And then what do you do with yourself the rest of the day? What did chilling out look like? Reading a book? Going for a walk? Go for a walk. Actually, going for a walk is not completely correct. I've had a mishap, so I don't walk too well these days. Sorry to hear. First, I'll disclose that. However, I'm, I'm not sad. I'm, I'm quite happy going around the yard. Sometimes it rains and come out enjoying the sun. That's half of the day done. The other half of the day, I get ideas for songs. I get ideas, I don't finish it, but I put them in my brain, in my computer. That's how it goes, like a song like Refugees was a song that I put in my actual computer. And I was just doodling around one day and I saw the title. I really liked it. And so I worked on it. And then I called a friend of mine, Wycliffe Jean, who I know is very creative. And we worked on it. And late evening, I prepared to go to sleep. <laughs> there was an exodus from Europe to America. Now there's an exodus from the Middle East to Europe. Yes, there's an exodus from Africa to Europe. People refugees something that you have been concerned about of late? Yes, in, indeed. But refugees is not just a song. Refugees has become a movement in the world. So I thought, <laughs> follow my pattern, <laughs> you know, comment on what's happening in the world and that. And so I just, you know, follow my pattern. It's something that uh, con concerned me, yeah. People all over the world, from Africa, to South America, you find refugees all over. So I support the movement by uh, making a song about it. believe that the power of music can shift the way things are going in the world to some degree too. Yes, indeed, because, you know, music is sound and sound affects everyone. It's a vibration, but it affects some people more than some. So, yeah, I found out that a long time ago in my career that sound is something that affects everyone. Yeah, it's a stunning album. I think that my favourite track on the album might be the song Bridges, which kind of reminds me of, of Many Rivers to Cross, really. Tell me a little bit about that one. Wow. One day I was uh, walking around in New York. New York is kind of a special place for me because, as it happens, that's where I wrote Many Rivers to Cross. So I was walking around one day and uh, the energy, it just come to me. The inspiration just come to me. 
and uh, those lyrics start to fall. I mean, I guess they must have been somewhere in my subconscious. Bridges over the great divide, spreading it far and wide, with love to guide. And then it continued and continued, and yeah, it went like that. And I was pleased at the end of the day. We're very pleased too. It's an awesome song. It's an awesome album. Bridges over the great divide Spreading it far and wide Would love to guide Bridges to man the broken bones Instead of throwing stones his conversion to Islam, his travels to Africa in search of his roots, and his newfound religious devotion have all influenced his music over time. The key now, he says, is to stay healthy following surgery for a broken hip. I'm in fairly good shape, so I have to take the time to heal myself perfectly. So that's where I am as far as health goes. Jimmy Cliff, which is your favourite song from this album? There's something I can pick, but I'm going to go with a song for the people. They're kind of left of field. It's called Punus. <laughs> you would ask what it means. What does that mean? It's a woman's private part. Huh? <laughs> oh. Don't expect me to write that kind of song. <laughs> no. And why did you? What led to that? Well, I write songs to write songs, and I write songs with a purpose. I consider that a funny song. And say, I got the punus, a number of the punus. I got the punus from the whole self. It's something I used to hear an elder man sing about his wife. And I thought that was, wow. I was to sing this kind of song, yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> I just picked it up and Turn it into a regular song. I got the boots and I broke the boots and I got the boots in the woods. I got the boots and I broke the boots and I got the boots in the woods. aren't you? 
I could just speak to you for hours, but I'd better let you go. Just finally, though, given that it was more than a decade between albums, how was the process for you? Did you enjoy going through all of that again and putting this album together? Yeah, I enjoy uh, putting songs together and making an album. It won't be the last one we hear from Jimmy Cliff, will it? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Not the last one. Oh, I'm already thinking, you know, inspiration and ideas are all are already coming to me. Yeah. Great. Jimmy Cliff, you have just been so wonderful to chat with. Thank you very, very much. You have to promise me that when you do release the next album, we can talk again. That I can promise. I am not one to make promises I, I don't keep. No, you're not that kind of guy, are you? You're a country guy who believes in playing fair. I really like that. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. Jimmy Cliff, the only living musician to hold the Jamaican Order of Merit, the country's highest honour for arts and science. I hope you've enjoyed his story and will join me again same time next week for another episode of A Breath of Fresh Air. Take care till we meet again, won't you? And do have lots of fun. Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day. You've been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.